In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at Asperient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cammie and Sandy. Aubrey Johnson joins us this week on Money Tales. As a young person, Aubrey had insecurities that extended into adulthood. As he tells us, he felt greed and craving for acceptance, which led to comparative thinking, wondering how he measured up to the next guy. This line of thinking was toxic and didn't allow Aubrey to think for himself. It also played out in his money decisions. Aubrey shares that he often found himself comparing his finances, where he lived and what he drove, to his peers. Meeting his now wife changed Aubrey's trajectory. He tells us that she helped him learn the importance of thinking for yourself and marching by the beat of your own drum. Today, among other things, Aubrey is the host of the Road to Rediscovery podcast. He believes every person has a story to tell. Some stories serve to entertain, others to teach. Aubrey first conceptualized the Road to Rediscovery to provide a platform for these ordinary yet extraordinary people to share their stories in the hopes of helping others who may be suffering through dark times of their own. Above all, Aubrey wants his listeners and guests to know they're not alone. By walking this road together, we are all stronger. Here are three key Money Tales conversation topics we dive into with Aubrey in this conversation. First, what it was like for him to file for bankruptcy. Second, how vulnerability and transparency in money conversations often lead to more vulnerability and transparency. And third, what Aubrey learned from selling stock in his employer's company at a gain and not setting aside money for the resulting taxes. We hope you share this episode with a friend and please subscribe to Money Tales on your favorite podcast platform. Now on to our conversation with Aubrey Johnson. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Money Tales podcast. I'm Cami Doder. And I'm Sandy Brager. Cami, tell me what exciting money conversations have you been having recently? Sandy, I had a very fun one with my youngest daughter, my six-year-old. We as a family watched My Fair Lady for the first time with our kids. Oh, I haven't seen that movie in ages. Which is part of my point. I hadn't seen it since I was a kid. So it was almost like seeing the movie new again. But what was really interesting is how my six-year-old really fixated when Eliza Doolittle, Audrey Hepburn, she was really eager to have the professor teach her how to speak properly, I guess, not with a Cockney accent. My daughter kept saying, well, what's she going to get paid? Will she make a lot of money? Oh, wow. Isn't that interesting? That It was the question, and the surprise was really important for her to know 
that there was this financial reward at the end of six months. Did you guys talk about that? We did. We talked about it, Sandy. And I mean, she was squirming on the couch throughout the movie. (laughs) What's she going to get paid? So it was really special to have at times conversations. We'd stop the movie. It's a long movie. And we stopped halfway because couldn't handle it in one sitting. And we started talking about what are rewards beyond money? And it was such an important conversation to bring that up when my daughter was so fixated on there had to be a financial reward, a monetary reward versus she really wanted the opportunity to learn a new dialect, to not speak with her Cockney accent so that she could open a flower shop, take it to the next level. And that was really wonderful to talk to my daughter about that, like about these rewards that are either money or what are the other rewards you feel as a result of things you do, pride that you've accomplished this. So it was just a really special conversation. Oh, that's great. So do you think you convinced her by the end of the conversation (laughs) that there are more rewards than just financial rewards? I think a little bit. You chip away at this. I think she got it. I think she got it. You bring it back into her life. Like, what are things that you really are proud of accomplishing that isn't someone didn't pay you to do it? It was really special. Well, good that she's thinking about monetary compensation, though. That will help her in her (laughs) future negotiations, I'm sure. (laughs) I'm sure it will. Let's go ahead and introduce our guest today, Aubrey Johnson. Welcome to the Money Tales podcast. Hey, thank you so much, Cammie. Thank you, Sandy. It's great to be here. I'm really excited to get into this conversation for sure. Thank you. Us too. Would you introduce yourself, Aubrey, and in doing so, provide a couple pivotal moments that took place in your life and really impacted who you are today. My name is Aubrey Johnson, and I am a talent development professional by trade as far as my day job. And I moonlight as a podcast creator and host of my show called The Road to Rediscovery. And I've been doing that since uh, 2018. And as far as pivotal things in my life that have changed or that I've encountered that kind of made me who I am today, I would have to say one of the biggest points was just some insecurities that I had in my teenage years in high school and my greed and craving for acceptance and worrying so much about what people thought of me. It just consumed me. And as well as how do I measure up to the next guy? Always what I call comparative thinking. In Mm. fact, I made a solo episode talking about comparative thinking and that comparative thinking just really, really was very toxic to me as far as always trying to measure myself up with the guy next to me. It didn't allow me to think for myself and march by the beat of my own drum. There was some point, I guess, in my senior year where I slowly started to realize and discover, hey, you know, just do what you enjoy doing. Stop worrying about what people think. As long as you enjoy what you're doing, and when it came to acceptance, you don't need validation from outside of who you are to define who you are. And so I decided to go along with that school of thought. Good for you. Yeah. And as I did that, things really, I mean, my self-confidence, my self-esteem, security in who I am, just really started to take shape. And I wish I could say it was an overnight success, but it wasn't. I mean, I was well into my early 30s. I didn't have that acceptance issue, but the comparative thinking I still had. Am I where I should be at 30 compared to my peers? 
financially. So say more about that financially part, Aubrey, because I think this is what you're sharing here is a common aspect that many people don't talk about. Well, I can definitely tell you this. I looked at that comparative thinking with my peers from a financial standpoint in a big way. And one of the reasons why is because, and I talk about this in previous episodes, I attended college after high school, but I never finished and received my undergrad. I got my associates. And so in the technical realm, which is where I specialized in, in IT, it was a challenge in getting a role or a job in a company, much less Fortune 500 company, to where you can start making a living for yourself. And my plan has always been to find a job in one of those places, start earning money, making a living, and then go back to school to finish and get that undergrad. But yeah, life took over. And so other priorities took over as well. But I did keep working. That never ended. And with my peers, most of them who did attend college and did receive their undergrad and the jobs that they came into, I'm still very good friends with them coming up in my mid-20s to late 20s to early 30s. But I've always kind of looked and measured myself to them and said, hey, how am I as far as where I am in my life versus where they are and what I make in my job versus what they make and what type of job I have and what kind of car I drive? I did that comparative thinking a lot. And that just consumed me in a big way because when I shared that I had this hangup, a wise man once told me, look, I've seen the most educated people still wandering around this earth, not sure what they want to (laughs) do. That's a good wise man. Yeah. And then he said, I've seen people who didn't attend a single day of college and maybe even high school dropouts own their own businesses. Some of them biggest businesses in the world. (laughs) Exactly. And so I took that to heart and that helped in my mid thirties to just let go, release of that toxic way of thinking. I hope that answered your question, Sandy. It does. I have a follow-up question. That is when you were in this period in your early adulthood of comparative thinking, was the financial measuring more important in your mind than other things you were measuring? For me, it was in no particular order, job, finances, and four things, where I lived and what I drove. Car, finances, where I lived, what I drove, and in comparing with my peers. And out of those four, finances had to be number one or number two. And also, I have to tell you, in my 20s, I was really, really fiscally irresponsible. I paid my bills and everything, but I had this work hard, play hard mindset. And I felt I worked hard all week. When the weekend comes, I've earned it. I've earned the joy of going out, circulating, having fun, spending all this kind of money. And I also had the weird thought that it's not much of a need for a savings. I'm putting money away from my 401k. And that was just totally out of the water wrong. But again, I was in my early to mid 20s. And during that whole time, single, no children. And I wasn't humble at all. I was less humble, which I guess the comparative thinking shows that lack of humility. I believe someone who's more humble would not 
be so concerned as to how they compare to someone else. Just some crazy way of thinking in my early to mid-20s that I was going through. Not too crazy. I think there's a lot of young people at those ages do just that. They don't see the need to save. So tell us, what was the trigger in your life that made you realize that you shouldn't be spending everything that came in? I'm glad you did put money into the 401k, but describe what caused you to change this trajectory. Well, admittedly, it was meeting my wife. Her background was a bit different. Her experiences were a bit different. She was in one of those households or families where you had to grow up and make a living for yourself at a very early age. So she was already very responsible. Very responsible. She graduated from high school, obviously, and then went to get her undergrad in early childhood development, then went on to get her master's in educational leadership. And she was working for Cincinnati Public Schools as a teacher. And she was pregnant at 19 and became a mother, worked full-time, and went to school full-time while being a mother and a single mom. So she had to be and learn to be very responsible very quick. It was her that really shined the light on me, saying, hey, look, you got to slow down, rearrange your priorities. I'm very, very blessed that we've connected in this universe. The universe connected us because I don't know if I didn't run into her when that light bulb would have come on. The way you describe it, it does sound like a collision, a happy collision. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's one collision I wouldn't mind having, and I'm <laughs> glad I had. And it sounds like as a result of that collision, you changed your trajectory quite a bit. Tell us a little bit more about how that all came together, Aubrey. When did you and your wife start talking about money, and what was it like for you to share your habits at that time with her? Do you remember? Yeah, I do remember. It was the early 2000s. I was separated and going through a divorce from my first marriage. At the time, I was dating my now wife. So strange. You find the right one that you want to spend the rest of your life with. You stop thinking about putting on airs. You stop thinking about trying to paint a picture of you being in a better place or a better picture of who you are. I didn't want to do that with her. It's just a feeling that came over me. I wanted to be totally transparent and say, hey, this is who I am. Here are the problems and issues that I have. And quite honestly, she was like that with me to begin with. And so I felt compelled to reciprocate, not only because of that, but because of how I felt about her. And so the financial part was part of that transparency. You know, I had to talk to her and say, hey, look, you know what? In my first marriage, I had to file for bankruptcy, Chapter 13. I had to do that, and I was ashamed of it, but I was still working, and in Chapter 13, I'm paying back. It's just the very, very cut amount, but it was for a number of years. And so no judgment at all on her part for that or the divorce I was going through or the child custody that she supported me in that I fought for. I mean, that's when the trajectory started. So I'm like thinking, I need to make myself a better person for her and completely follow her lead on any type of financial advice when it comes to managing money in the house. And then we work on it together. And that's the MO that I follow in our household to this day. Ari, tell us a little bit more about the feeling you had 
as you got financially naked, a term we've used on this podcast before. It's you got vulnerable and you shared so much. Tell us the feeling of doing so. I'll never forget the day we were sitting down in her living room talking and she shared something about her that was quite transparent that she was really struggling to tell me. And then I had to tell her and say, hey, she didn't ask me or force me to tell her, but I'm like, she's totally transparent with me, sharing this with me and telling me that she struggled with it. I mean, I got to do this with her. If there's any chance of us making it for the future, for the rest of our lives, I can't not say this at the risk of her saying, you know what? No, thank you. But that's the risk. That's what love is. That's what relationships are. You're taking that chance. To me, I felt it was worth it. And I wasn't proud of it. And she didn't expect me to say it. But I think she knows who I am in my heart. And she knows the family that I come from. You know, the family, generationally speaking, my family hasn't been the best when it came to finances. My father, he was the breadwinner of the house, but he he gambled a lot, you know. My mother, because he was the breadwinner, my mother didn't have the experience in managing the finances of the home. And when my dad passed in 2006, then, you know, my mother was stuck with the finances and that took a struggle to where at that time I was in a much better place and very stable. And I was able to help my mother along with one of my sisters who was able to help as well. But at the time that I'm sharing this back in 2001 with my then girlfriend, now wife, about (laughs) what I'm going through and having to file chapter 13 and the reasons why and so forth. She helped me learn and discover that I really didn't have to do that. And then I couldn't understand why at the time. But as I started following her lead in how she manages her home fiscally, I started to realize the light bulb came on. Hey, I didn't have to do that. Aubrey, we appreciate you sharing all this because these stories you're sharing really encapsulate the magic of money conversations. Vulnerability, transparency lends itself to more vulnerability and transparency. Having lack of judgment opens things up even more. Having financial role models in your life that help guide you away from some habits that you were exposed to early on that we weren't so excited about and proud of is amazing. And I'm curious, now that you and your wife have formed this life together for more than 20 years, tell us about what financial hardships you've tackled together and how they compared to financial challenges you had before you met your wife? I would have to say the biggest financial challenge we had was in the early stages of our relationship. I kind of mismanaged how I handled shares of stock in my company. And I didn't put aside what I needed to put aside after selling shares so that I can pay the taxes for gains so to speak. And as a result, at the end of the year, there's this huge gains tax. Surprise. Yeah, big (laughs) surprise, right? And so that required a lengthy discussion with the IRS and ways set up how to pay that over time. While we did that, we had to, or I did that because it was through my company that I worked at. And of course, it has an impact on the inflows coming into the house. We lived together for five years before we were married. So from 01 to 06, 
we lived together. And that was the growing pains, I guess you can say. And then in 07, I was relieved and satisfied those gains over several years. And so I think that would have to be maybe the biggest thing. Moving here to North Texas from Cincinnati back in 2015, here in North Texas, the cost of living is a lot higher. Our house was more expensive that we moved into than the house that we had the deed for in Cincinnati. (laughs) And so to just reacquaint ourselves with a mortgage, it's an adjustment. I wouldn't say that it was a financial setback that we had to address. Now, the gains, that was, and again, due to fiscal irresponsibility and just the infatuation of knowing that I could cash in stock that has increased in value without doing the due diligence to understand what you must claim with gains. I think that's fascinating. Just given all that you've shared, your life is really taking a turn. That's why I was curious about that question. Is this where the road to rediscovery, the name of your podcast comes from? Is it from this period of time when you were transitioning from one way of life to another and being more secure? It totally does, Sandy. The Roads Rediscovery started out as a blog in 2013, and it's still a blog to this day for intents and purposes. And it's basically talking about reflections of my journey. There were things and events that I was presented with or encountered in the early part of my life. I didn't have the mental capacity to really acknowledge that event or that encounter for what I needed to for the lesson. And so I was just trying to party, have a good time, work hard, play hard, remember? And I would just deal with it or be reactive to it and then move on. Well, as soon as I got in my mid-30s, early 40s, certain events and encounters would happen and come to me that would show itself or reveal itself in a different way, but it would be the same lesson. And I think to myself, hmm, I've seen this somewhere before. I wonder, hmm, now that I'm in a better place, I'm more responsible, more mature. Maybe I now have the mental capacity to acknowledge this for what it is. That's when the rediscovery happens. And the finance piece was one of those rediscoveries. Excellent. Aubrey, in our pre-call, you mentioned you have a grown son. Do you have other children? My wife has a daughter. In fact, my wife and I, we've been together ever since her daughter was 14. And so, yeah, she's married now, have three boys. And my son, he graduated from college last year. He's with a major company and he's married. Him and his wife just closed on a condo. They had their son. So last year was very eventful for those guys. That's excellent. How did you and your wife help your children with this whole idea of comparative thinking? How you helped them not use measuring sticks in a way that was detrimental. Yeah, thank you for asking that, Cammie, because that was one of the things that I truly, truly made a priority in conveying to my son. My son, when he was three, his mother and I, we separated. And then, like I said, we had the child custody and I was awarded custody when he was five. And from there on, I just told him, the importance of thinking for yourself, marching by the beat of your own drum, and not caring or validating yourself based on what people thought of you or going with the crowd, especially if it's in a 
bad way or could lead to trouble. As he got older, and he had many different opportunities where he could measure himself up to someone, but he didn't. And playing football ever since Little League and flag football and middle school and high school and even Division One in college, his mindset and his attitude wasn't, how do I compare to this person? Or I'm going to beat this person out for the starting running back job or anything like that. It was like, hey, we're a team. We're working together for a cause greater than ourselves. When I was young and I was on a team, all I worried about was being the best. And being the best meant I had to do what? Compare myself to others to see if I'm better than them. And if not, then work to be the best. And there was a phrase that I would tell him when he was in middle school. The phrase was, to be the best, you've got to do your best. And to me, it's a simple phrase. But he is of the mindset that he doesn't necessarily want to be the best. He wants to play a part in contributing to the best team, but he doesn't necessarily feel he needs to be the best, but he is a true advocate of doing his best. I know that's kind of meta and so forth, but I hope that makes sense. Aubrey, tell us how you were handling money as part of your relationship with your son as he was growing up. Do you guys talk about it? <laughs> yeah, we talk about it. In fact, the church that we belonged to, they had some Dave Ramsey classes, and then we had some Dave Ramsey classes outside of the church, and then the Dave Ramsey had a series for teens. And so my wife and I and other couples that we're friends with in church who had teens that went to school with my son, and they were friends, teammates even, we got them enrolled in there. And of course, when my son went off to university after high school, at that time, my wife and I were moving down here to North Texas. And so he had to learn in the freshman dorms, here's your allotment. Here's what you can spend. Here's what you should hold on to. And he got to learn how to ration, how to save his money, and how to spend it wisely for things that he only really, really need. And that has carried over into where he is today because he's 24 and he is in, I'm sorry, but he is in a hell of a better place at 24 than I was at 24 from a family perspective. I was single. I had a sports car. I just started a new job and with a big raise. That was me at 24. Him got his master's, had an excellent football collegiate career in athletics with four bowl rings. So he has his bachelor's, has his master's. He's with a major Fortune 500 company doing great work. He's married. He has a son. They just closed on a condo. They're living in the condo. So I hope the work that Sherry and I did has uh, helped contribute to his responsibility and what he manages today. I would like to think so. That's great, Aubrey. You mentioned before the history of your family, and now you've shared with us how the family is evolving in the rising generations. What are yeah. your thoughts on that from a financial perspective as you think about the folks in your family that came before you and those that are coming up after you? Well, Sandy, in three words, break the cycle. <laughs> Has to break the cycle. I'm tired and tired of hearing and reading stories about how African-Americans have not been financially responsible or fiscally responsible for generations because out of slavery, no one taught them that. And that's true. 
You just look for work. I mean, when you have, let's say, historically speaking, when you have an African-American family, let's say in the 20s or 30s, okay, not really knowing how to be fiscally responsible because they weren't taught, plus coupled with the simple fact that African-Americans would make less. Yeah, the system was not set up for success. Right. And they're humans too. They need heat, food, shelter, clothing, right? All those things. And they're no more or less expensive for one color versus another, much less available to one color versus another, say back in that time period. It just perpetuated generation after generation unless someone breaks the cycle. And from an education standpoint, I may not have broken that cycle obviously, because what I shared with you earlier. But from a financial perspective, I like to think that I contributed in breaking the cycle. And I contributed in breaking the cycle from an educational standpoint in the work that my son has done. I'm not taking credit for his accomplishments, but conveying the importance of higher education in any form is what I expressed so much more on him than my parents did to me. I'm a military brat. My parents went straight into the military after high school. So talks about higher education and things like that, I didn't receive because they didn't experience it. I hope that answered your question. Yeah, amazing. I love that. And congratulations on that success. That's huge. Aubrey, what's your next money conversation going to be? And who's it going to be with? It's going to be with my wife. And it's going to be how we are going to find a creative way to save money for my bucket list trip. Where? I'll be 55 in May, and I want to go back to my homeland. And my homeland, which is the land in which I was born, is Fairbanks, Alaska. And I haven't been there ever since I moved to three. My father was stationed there, so that's why I was born there. And I've always had a fascination with Alaska And my bucket list item is to make it up there. For my 60th birthday, I want to make that trip. And so we're going to be talking about how we can make that happen in a creative way with finances. Aubrey, what a great conversation and wonderful goal. Good luck. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you for sharing so much your stories that You have obviously broken a cycle and it's so neat to hear about your kids. Uh, You're an inspiration. How would our listeners find you, Aubrey? Oh, very easy. They can follow me on Twitter. That's at R2R Podcast. That's R, the number two, and R Podcast. Same for my Facebook page. I would encourage them to join the Facebook page at R2R Podcast, number two. They can shoot me an email, road to rediscovery podcast at gmail.com. Also, they can look up my website, road to rediscovery. That's road number two, rediscovery.com. My podcast can be found on any, any platform where you listen to your shows. Aubrey, thank you so much. And thanks for joining us on the Money Tales podcast. Thank you, Aubrey. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Money Tales podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you think would benefit from listening and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your ratings and reviews help more people find our podcast. 
If you're inspired to gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue. Or you can email Sandy and me at podcast at See you next time.